Welcome to episode two of American Polygons. I'm Nate. He's Joe. We're going to break down the U.S.'s first three matches in the OCT from the last week. But, you know, before we get started, Joe, last week, you know, before our episode or we started our episode, I said, we're on the road to qualification. And you were like, hold on there, buddy. And that's I think we got to. Yeah. That's all right, though. That's okay. Five points. In the first three games of qualifying in the last, I don't know, eight times we've qualified, five points is pretty good. Just saying. I mean, given the way that we played in five of the six halves, and my first note for us is a tale of five plus one halves. I mean, it really is. It's five halves and it's one. Uh, And if you told me at the end of the fifth half that we were going to have five points, I would have said you're bonkers. So, you know, am I happy? No, but we'll get into all that. So welcome. Thanks for listening. We're going to walk you through uh, each of these last three matches and then give you some hot takes to kind of take away um, as we have about a month off before the U.S. comes back together to take the field um, for the next round of octagonal World Cup qualifying. So, you know, let's get started. Let's jump in. So El Salvador, uh, a week ago, you know, obviously the U.S. goes down there uh, and, you know, 0-0 draw, just real, real uninspired. Um, But Joe, you've got a really great analogy that you want to share with our listeners. So I'm going to let you go first on El Salvador. Yeah, I El Salvador was a game that we went into that I think the majority of Americans, U.S. soccer fans, said this is 2 nothing, this is 3 nothing, this is 4 nothing. We got the A team out there. It's El Salvador. But the people that have been watching, I think, understood that it was going to be a little tougher. And I, I admit, I think I was a little off. I was hoping for 3 nothing. I, I was maybe more with my heart than my brain hoping that it was going to be 3 nothing. But within the first 10, 15 minutes of that ball game, I could tell exactly what was going on. And I'll use the analogy. If you, the old days of Survivor, pretty much just get dropped off on an island. Probe says, see you later. And you have to figure out how to survive. You have to figure out who's, who's around you that's going to help, what needs to be done. And winning is not even in the vocabulary yet. You have 40 days in order to win that game. And I feel like... That soccer game was basically that. We got thrown onto an island, a little nervous, a little anxious, a little confused, and winning kind of went out the window. We just needed to survive that game, and it just became a game of survival. That's what it looked like to me. Very few chances, no cohesion, didn't, the chemistry's not there. And I'll say this, and I probably say this often, I find it hard. I've always found it hard for the last 20 years to understand how we put these guys together for three or four training sessions and then say, go win these big games and go look good doing it and go show that we have this amazing chemistry and that we're going to be very good on the field every time. That's not going to happen every time. El Salvador, I thought, parked the bus a little bit. Didn't give us a whole lot of opportunity. I thought the field was choppy. I think it turned in survival. And um, I think we we survived to day 20. We didn't win, but we survived to day 20. We weren't the first off. You know, if I'm going to pick a number, we made it about halfway, but it was a point and uh point's a point and you move on. I like it. I like it. You know, I think that there's away points and there's away points. And I think that was an away point that 
we've got to be happy with in light of like looking in the rear view mirror, we've got to be happy with that away point because I think in cycles past, we lose that match. I think in cycles past, given the way we played, we deserved to lose that match, but there's just so much talent on the field. We talked about that in episode one, there's so much talent. Like you go in expecting to win. I went in expecting them to win, you know, three, nothing, two, nothing, three, nothing. And just playing El Salvador off the pitch. Well, you take one look at that crowd. You take one look at the stadium. You take one look at the way, you know, the El Salvadoran players are singing the national anthem. You know, everybody in blue and white in that match was stoked and ready to go. The U.S. just wasn't ready for that. And so I think your survivor analogy is spot on. Uh, That was a survival game. And I think the fact in hindsight that we came away with a point speaks to the grit that we needed to show to get that point. The fact that they didn't really have any clear-cut chances to score. I mean, they had the one header on goal that's easy for Turner. We don't get much either. Fine, you play to a draw, right? Um, The one thing, you know, tactically that I really, that really stood out for me in that match was the need for us to have a number six who's going to command the ball without Brooks in the match. And to be honest, you know, Brooks was not a good passer in the three halves that he played. We need Tyler Adams in the center of the field and we need him to be more assertive. He was much more assertive yesterday on the wing. Um, We need him to go be assertive in the center of the field to really start to be our motor. And I think that there's that style. And I'm going to come back to this as we talk about the other matches, but we've got to figure out what our style is going to be. And if we're going to go play on choppy fields, maybe we do need to just go in with the intent to play a little bit more long ball. And that's got to be clear from the beginning. Um, We didn't seem to know what to do. And there was a lack of preparation there, especially with a young team. So that's got to come to the coaching. I just want to add one more thing about that game. These guys play on pristine fields. In the MLS, you don't play on a bad field anymore. Overseas, in Europe, you don't play on a bad field. Every field is top-notch. And none of these guys, besides Yedlin and Brooks, have ever seen a field like that, maybe since they were 16 years old, honestly. I think that had something to do with it, too. All of a sudden, you're out there, and the ball takes a little bobble, and it throws you off. Matt Turner is a perfect example. He had a little bobble on a pass back to him, it went out of bounds. It was a bad touch on a little on a little bounce. It went out of bounds. And if you watched him the rest of that game, he booted it 60 yards downfield every time they kicked it back to him because he was unsure of himself. And little things like that throw your confidence and kind of question your your ability. And I think that's that's what happened. But we can move on. Canada. Canada. So one point, most of the group had one point. Mexico was the only team with a win after the first set of fixtures. So we host Canada, lots of talk around West McKinney suspended for the match, ended up being sent back home. Gio Reyna hurt. Serginio Desket subbed off before halftime. So some of these big name guys that we talked up really weren't available, but that Canada match finishes 1-1. I just want to talk about McKinney real quick. Things like that happen. And for whatever reason, the, the story that stands out to me at a much higher level than the second game of 14 in a World Cup qualifying is Atlanta Falcons were in the Super Bowl 20 years ago. And I want to say Dwayne Robinson is the name that sticks. Something Robinson. 
he got he got uh, disorderly conduct or a drunk driving or something in the night or two before the Super Bowl. The biggest he was game of it. a prostitute. Oh, okay. There you go. So you know you remember more than I do at this Eugene point. Eugene Robinson. Eugene Robinson. Eugene I was close. Robinson. You know. So this is two nights before the biggest game of his career, and he goes out and does something that like that. McKinney's 23, 23 years old. You know, whatever he did, seeing the rumors, I don't think anything is definite, but I think I know pretty much what happened. Let's just hope he learns from it. That's it. Let's just hope he learns from it. He learns from this. He doesn't do it again. He shows up and plays soccer. That's it. I think that's the thing. The whole team has really got to show up and come together. What we saw was bits and pieces over this first three matches. And I think moving forward, what we really need to see is a more cohesive group and a group that's playing together like they're out there for each other. And when you've got players that are playing, that are being selfish off the field, when you've got players uh, that aren't playing cohesively on the field, you're going to you're gonna fall apart and you're going to lose points that way. Um, I think that the next set of fixtures is going to be huge for this team coming up. We'll get there, um, but we'll have a whole episode dedicated to it. But there's really some soul searching that's got to go on for some of these guys uh, if they want call-ups back. So getting to that Canada game, you know, my big head-scratcher moment is Burhalter's choice in the midfield. He starts Acosta and Leggett ahead of Adams. Adams is sitting at the six. He's got Pulisic and Aronson out on wings with Prefolk in the middle. But every time Pulisic slid in the middle or dropped deep just to get some touches, that meant Acosta's sliding out wide. Acosta didn't have the speed to play on that wing. He doesn't play as a wing. So what I would have liked to have seen is to see Pulisic at the 10 and then two natural wings to really allow Pulisic the freedom to move around like he needed to in that match. He was getting frozen out. Canada did a great job. And then Canada's running three to four guys at him every time he gets the ball. To contrast that with the Canadian goal, there's one U.S. defender in the same county as Davies when he gets the ball there, and it's Yedlin. And Yedlin just gets torched. People can give John Brooks a hard time, but that was a that was a breakdown bound for goal far before it ever the ball was in the back of the net. So, you know, the thing I'm looking at is how does how is the US set up to defend when there's a guy like Davies? Because when we play top competition, when we play Mexico, they're gonna have three or four guys that are that David. When we play Mexico, they're gonna have three or four guys that are that dangerous. So if there's only one guy. We've got to make sure that we're accounting for him at all times. And if Canada can do that with Pulisic and take him out of the game, there's zero reason that on the flip side, the U.S. can set up tactically to be able to take Davies out of the game or at least have support so that he's not going one-on-one on a whole half of the field with DeAndre Yeplin. I'm just going to touch on Brooks real quick. I had a note on Brooks and I watched this replay a couple times. We said Brooks was the one guy that could not be on, could not be off the field. Doesn't play game one gets blamed for the goal. Um, both games. Okay. He's playing in a system that he's not used to. If you watch the Canada goal, he's running back toward his own goal. Davies is streaking down the left side. If you watch Brooks, he slows down because he sees the other defender. I believe Miles Robinson. I forget who it was. I believe it was Miles Robinson. Have the direct 90 angle. So Brooks slowed down enough so that he had like the 105 angle. You understand what I'm saying? He had an angle just further back behind him. But also, if he keeps running and it hits any part of his body, 
and it deflects off of him. It's an own goal. I don't know what else he was supposed to do there. Yedlin got beat. Brooks knew he was in a position, probably a no-win situation. Good cross, goal. As for the second, the, the goal um, last night against Honduras, he's trying to play a position where he's our backline defender, but he's also trying to be our defensive midfielder. He pushed up a couple times where he was trying to stop the attack early on in the possession, got beat because he didn't read it fast enough, and that's not his his job normally. Um, I've just I've seen a lot of I, I I love Brooks. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, he's getting destroyed on social media right now for for two goals that I just don't see are a lot of his responsibility. He's saved us a lot of goals in the past by his intellect, his ability, being at the right spot at the right time. So I, you know, I'm I'm hoping that uh, Brooks continues to be our our center back. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about these two matches and we talk about the first half at Honduras. And the bottom line for me is if the U.S. is going to qualify for the World Cup and the U.S. is going to make a run at the World Cup and even is going to have a competitive program, they need to stop getting outcoached. Greg Berthalter, outcoached against El Salvador. The team was not ready to go. El Salvador was. They played as good a game as you could have expected that team to play. Hats off to them. Canada played a good game against the U.S. Could they have played better? Maybe. Could they have won that game? Absolutely. It's that type of, I'm going to take a square peg and put it into a round hole, and I'm going to try and do that 11 different times and hope that it works and that we win. Like, what are you doing? He's overthinking. He's overanalyzing. He's overthinking. That's what he's doing. He's trying to outsmart himself instead of just coaching the players that he has. He's trying to outcoach himself and outcoach the other coach and outcoach the next coach and outcoach the the coach he's going to have in four games. That's what he's doing. He's overanalyzing. He's thinking ahead four games and thinking, well, if if I do this and these guys defend it this way, four games from now, they're going to defend it this way. That's exactly what he's doing. And that's why he's having problems. He needs to worry about the game at hand, coach it, and move on. We have great players. I yeah, I agree. I just I think that's the and prepare for the game at hand, and know that you're going to do this thing. And if it doesn't work, then change in the game. I mean, the Honduras match is a great example of a coach being humble enough to recognize, oh, I made some mistakes, and I'm going to fix it at halftime. And he admitted it. He didn't fix his, and he didn't. He didn't fix his mistakes at halftime, which he should have against Canada. I mean, the the U.S. goal against Canada was by and large against the run of play. The Canadian goal, on the other hand, was not. You know, they got their goal doing the exact same thing they did the entire match. Sit back, defend, absorb, counter. Boom. Right? And so how is it that you, in a World Cup qualifier, going into halftime 0-0, when Canada clearly has a strategy, don't say, okay, if we, when we nick one, when we can get one, we got to make sure that we shore up the long ball. We got to make sure that we've got at least two players in the same county, if not three, as Alfonso Davies, because he's the guy who's going to beat us. You know, left, he, he had moments against pretty much every defender that I can think of in the first half. He had a run at Miles Robinson. He had runs at Serginio Dest before he came off. 
He had runs at Yedlin. He was dangerous the entire game, and we didn't adjust. So why is it that Bert Halter can't make those adjustments and isn't willing to make those adjustments and isn't willing to make subs until the 80th minute? This is also his first World Cup qualifying. Majority of his players and him. Pressure's tough, man. I have one of my last notes here. World Cup qualifying pressure is different, and that dark cloud is still hanging over United States soccer. So, and he knows it. The pressure, just give him a chance. I think I think that's a great point. And I think that this, until we clinch, the pressure is still going to be there and it's not really going to go away. And every bad half, and granted, how much do the players and team pay attention to, you know, national team Twitter? I think that's fans being fans, right? And I think that that's great. And it would happen at the stadium anyway. It's going to have, you know, you know, my TV yelling at count was plus 10 for each game. But that's that's what you do, right? So you yell at your TV and then you yell into the void that is social media. That's what we do as fans. It's what makes it fun. It's why we keep coming back, right? Players may or may not look at that. They certainly don't deserve abuse after the fact and abuse directed at them. But, you know, we have the red button watch for a reason. Um, and so that red button isn't going to go away until we've qualified. So let's get to Honduras. So tale of, you know, five halves really boils down to a tale of two halves at Honduras. That first half, more of the same. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking with that lineup. I saw it. I thought, does he want to get fired? And the first half lived up to that expectation. I, I wait on Twitter. I wait on Twitter for the for the lineup and what it looks like. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what it was going to look like on the field, what the formation was going to be. You texted me pretty quickly and were not happy with it. I kind of looked around Twitter a little bit for some more takes on it. There were some good. There were some bad. It, it obviously didn't work out for him. I just don't see where going with a 3-4-3 with your number six as a right wing back, I don't I don't understand that decision. We have the evidence that as soon as Tyler Adams switched back to the middle, the goals started coming. Go figure. If he wasn't up for 90 minutes in the center, then don't start the man. Say, hey, you're playing 45 if we need you. Start somebody else. But if you're not going to have him in the middle, then you've got to overload it. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's the man that has to control the ball. You nailed the nail on the head. Brooks's repeated errors were from him playing a de facto six because we didn't have one. Because Sands and Acosta were lost. And he, if he played that role, if he played that role on a regular basis, he'd probably be fine at it. I think he plays great through balls. He finds balls through the midfield into our forwards often. He plays a great ball up into the front lines. Um, his vision is fantastic. So, yeah, I think uh, he was caught playing two positions. It's tough. I think it's interesting you see examples when teams have just given up on their managers, and it often comes where they just don't understand what the manager expects them to do. And that first half was a clinical example of when a team doesn't understand what the manager expects them to do. You saw it with Spurs and Mourinho. You saw it with the U.S. under Klinsman. And it's like team is right on the knife edge, about to keel over, and somehow Burhalter pulled it off and made the switches at halftime that he needed to make to get some guys in the in for the second half to make an impact. People were quick to forget 
that he made some great substitutions this summer. He made some key substitutions this summer that got us back into games and kept us or got us ahead in games. So the man knows how to coach. I just think it's the pressure getting to him a little bit, just like this is the players. So So we turn to the second half. Obviously, we make three tactile changes. The key one for me isn't Aronson, it's Anthony Robinson. Anthony Robinson changed that game almost by himself and all credit, we'll, we'll get to Ricardo Pepe here in a minute, but all credit to Anthony Robinson because I think over the course of those three matches, he was the guy that the U.S., other than Tyler Adams, who played all 270 minutes, Anthony Robinson was the guy that the U.S. could have used more of throughout that those three matches. And so they bring in Robinson... He obviously gets the equalizer, and just let's talk about that for a second. He's at a stock standstill, ball at his waist, and finds a way to volley that and finesse it into the back corner, past the keeper and above the diving Honduran player. I mean, that's just a fantastic finish from a left back, no less. So I got to ask you, Joe, in light of this, knowing your penchants for watching Americans playing abroad, how are you going to watch Fulham matches so that you can watch Anthony Robinson play? I have ESPN Plus. They're they're championship. They have championship games on there every once in a while for sure. Good answer. Um, Good answer. Yeah, I was just making sure you knew. No, I know. I wanted um, to support you. Yeah, I think uh, Anthony Robinson, and I think he's earned the left back spot. He better be there every time. Now he needs to be there every time, and I think that's been shown in the last. Last game, especially. So I think he earned it. And then we move forward. Obviously, Brendan Aronson showing, uh, you know, and we talked about his form coming in, but he showed over the course of the couple of matches uh, his time in that he can be a dynamic player. You know, obviously gets the goal against Canada, gets him rolling, um, and then comes in and has some big contributions off the bench against Honduras. And then we got to get to your guy, Pepe. Ricardo Pepe. I told you. 18. You, you, I mean, you called it. You called it. You said he'll play. What? what it's, it's, I thought it was obvious. I mean, in basketball, you throw it to the shooter that's making baskets. In baseball, you put the guy in the, in the best part of the order that's hitting the ball. I mean, the guy's scoring goals. That's what a goal scorer needs to do is score goals. He had been doing it. At a, on a regular basis, I don't care if it was MLS. He had see, he was seeing the ball go in the back of the net. When's the last time Josh Sargent saw the ball go in the back of the net? Tell me. You can't. Well, I'm not even gonna. You know, I, let's hope Sargent makes it to the next three. I'd like to see him get some more time. But you know my feelings there. Okay, I think it's Pepe and DK up top, and I'm I'm breaking ahead here to a, what we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes. But Pepe was unbelievable last night. 18 year old. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great goal. And just the composure on the on the last one, right? So Pepe gets the ball played to him. He's in space. They're up 3-1 at that point. It doesn't matter. The game's iced anyway. But he Don't say it doesn't matter. I, goal I score absolutely agree. That that we, goal we that, want that, that plus, plus minus, minus oh, is what yeah. has us in second place right now. So I'm not saying it doesn't That's matter, right. but I'm saying <laughs> if he misses that, if he rushes that shot, but the composure there to not only put it on, but to make the goalie make a tough save, to make it go back post, knowing, I mean, they had three options there. So I just think. Wh- why, do th- why, do, why do shooters keep shooting? Because they're full of confidence. He's full of confidence. And when you're full of confidence, you play well. Couldn't agree more. 
So we walk away from Honduras, 4-1 winners, five points overall. We're tied with Canada for second place. Mexico's got seven points in first place. So top three teams automatically qualify. We come away from the weekend in an automatic qualifying position. So first of all, we both said that the minimum number of points that we were expecting or that were, would be acceptable was seven. So we were wrong. But are you satisfied with the five, given the way that the first three matches played out overall? We're in second place. We're in a qualifying position. Will you take five, given that that's what we got? Yes. You have to be satisfied. Five's a good number. Is it seven? No. I want us going into every game, whether it's home or away, Mexico, Costa Rica, Canada, expecting to win. We used to not do that. It used to go into Mexico or go into an away stadium and say, a tie is probably good here. No, no, no. Our mentality still needs to be to win every game we go out there. That's how you win the World Cup. Okay? That's, that, that's understood. But five points, second place, top three teams who are exactly who I expected in whatever order you want to put it. The order doesn't matter. All three make it, whether you finish first or third. Is it bragging rights maybe a little bit? Sure. But as long as we're in the first three, keep trying to win every game. Yeah, I mean, I agree to an extent. I think where I differ is the U.S. walking away with five points here. It has to be a kick in the butt, and it has to be a lesson moving forward that this isn't good enough. It's fine. It's not good enough. And it's not going to be good enough moving forward to continue to drop points against beatable opponents and to do it in the fashion that they did. Is stuff going to happen? Yeah. Will there be injuries? Yes. But they've got to figure, they've got to find the grit so that they're getting the points that they need to get moving forward. And that's where I would say that five is, is still not good enough, but it kind of is a remainder to be seen. We need to continue to get better we need to make the changes that this squad deserves both tactically and personnel wise so that we can go out and get those points. So the rosters need to reflect a greater hunger. The tactics need to reflect a greater hunger and a greater sense of grit. That was, that was lacking except for the last half against Honduras. Was it pretty? No. Did we deserve it given the way that we played? I think so. But overall, I would have a, I would have a hard time arguing uh, that we even really deserved the five points. I think we were lucky. We need to take that and use that as motivation for the future. Sure. I agree. I agree with that. I think, it, yeah, little chip on the shoulder. Player the fixtures, right? So all three games, who's your most valuable player? Everybody's going to say Tyler Adams, I think. And I know he's, he's my favorite player, but Pulisic gives us another dimension that teams have to worry about. He's the Alfonso Davies of Canada. He's the Messi of, of Argentina. Teams have to focus on him in order to stop us. Um, he allows us to do a lot of things. He creates a lot of chances. It's Adams, but Pulisic still makes things happen. Whether we score or not, he makes things happen. And he's going to be the player of our fixtures a lot of the time just because of his skill level. I'm going to go in the back. So I'm going to pick two defenders as co-players of the fixture. Two guys that really impressed me and not only impressed me by their play, but I think really made a difference for us. Miles Robinson really showed up and played well in the back uh, and held his own. And then Anthony Robinson, we talked about 
you know, for me was the difference maker against Honduras, but I think he was just a, a really solid guy in all of his minutes. So I would give them co-player the fixtures and I actually give it to them above Tyler Adams. I just need to see him more involved. If he's going to get the ball and really commanding and leading the way that I think that he can, uh, then he is that player for us. Um, but the two guys that I think really bailed us out time and again uh, were Anthony Robinson and Miles Robinson. I just want to add something on Adams. Adams um, and Polisic lead by not necessarily performing great in certain spurts. Those two show up every time we play soccer. They show up with tenacity and heart and hustle. I love watching them on the field, both of them. So could there be others? Could I have talked about others? Probably, yes. More specifically from game to game. But those two, they want this more than more than I think we understand. Moving into the next set of fixtures, we've got about a month still. Matt Turner obviously plays all three matches. Stefan's out, injured, COVID. I think it's a no-brainer that Turner gets the nod over Horbath. Do you start Turner? in the next set of games, if you've got a healthy Zach Steffen? I'm starting Steffen. I'm still starting Steffen. Because Steffen wouldn't have let that bobble, that little bounce bobble that went out of bounds, bother him. He would have deked the next guy that came up on him. The guy has confidence for days. I questioned Matt Turner's confidence in that moment. I think he grew into some of those games and built some confidence. You could see it with his distribution. But there were moments in that first game, especially, I was scared. He looked, He looked nervous. Stefan, I don't think I've ever seen him look nervous, ever. Maybe too confident sometimes, if anything. <laughs> I think I might give the nod to Turner, if only because he was in no way culpable on either of those goals. He was hung out to dry on both. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him on either of them, so for sure. you can't blame him on those. Fault. No, they're going, they're going to score on Stefan in that moment, too. I'm talking about other parts of the game. And I think our play from the back as well as I just praised Robinson's for doing, you know, I think we do have to get better. And so if having a Stefan who's going to be a little bit more confident uh, with the ball at his feet is going to help us to play from the back, I think that has to be a consideration. So moving forward, is there anybody that you drop from this roster of 23? Anybody that you are really excited to see called in for the next set of qualifiers? I think we see DK for sure. If he's healthy, I think we see DK. I think we see, and you're going to laugh, but I think we see Zardis. I didn't see a whole lot of, uh, and you know, tactics have changed. Our system is changing, but you still have to be able to be scary over the top and make runs. In most of those games, in all three of those games, I saw very few long balls over the top with somebody running onto it. Zardis will do that for us. He extends, he, he separates the defenders. He makes space for everybody else in behind. He will do the dirty work. Whether he scores or not, he will do the dirty work. And I saw Sargent in particular have opportunities to make runs down the right side or the middle, and he did not. Whether he's questioning his abilities or maybe the system, maybe it's Burhalter saying, Let's, we're not going to do that. But I think we need to do that. And I think Zardis is, is the guy that can, can do that. And I like I said, he's not going to play every game. We're going to need him at some point, though. We're going to need that. We're going to need him running, running hard, because that's what he does. But DK, I think DK and Pepe up top is formidable. Pepe can run off of DK's settles, and DK can spread it. And DK in the middle, big guy. We get down the sides, we can cross to both of them. I mean, they're both, what's Pepe, 6'4", 6'5", something like that. He's pretty tall, I believe. Big two guys up top. 
I like that. I like those two. I think we might see Musa. I liked him in moments. I think he's a little inconsistent and sporadic, and I don't know if we need that. I think we need consistency still, and that's legit. That's rolled on. We know what the, we know. What we're going to get out of them. They're not flashy. They do their job, and sometimes we need that in games. Whether we're losing, whether it's tied, whether we're winning, um, they bring a stability to the game, and I think that's what they did last night when they came in. Just we knew where they were going to be. They did their job. They're not going to make 60-yard runs on the ball. They're not going to make 40-yard runs over the top. They're not going to, you know, they might hit the diagonal, but they're going to be in good places. They're going to be in the right spot, and I think that's why we we stick to those guys. But I like Moose's athletic ability. I, I, he's got something there. I just don't know if we see him yet. Yeah, I think in terms of drops, I actually would like to see them keep – those front three guys for one more cycle before they make any changes. I think that all three of those guys bring some different things to the table. And I think that they just need to figure out how to better use each of those uh, within a system, because I think they can play three clear systems with each of those guys. In terms of who I want to see dropped, um, you know, some of the guys that really struggled um, Bellow Sands in the midfield just weren't up for the task. Um, I thought McKenzie held himself fairly well um but i would like to see chris richards come in and get some run as a center back um i think they need to figure out are they going to go three in the back are they going to go four in the back um are they going to go four three three are they going to go three five two uh i don't think the three four three is just going to work unless you've got you clone tyler adams and he's twice you know he's playing both halves of your center mid um, just not going to happen. Um, they need him. They need somebody with the engine. I'd love to see Musa come in. I'd love to see um, Matthew Hoppy come in and get some, add some depth to the wing. I liked what Conrad De La Fuente brought. I liked what Aronson brought. Obviously, you've got Pulisic and Reyna. You also need to have some depth, uh, and you need to have some speed and some attacking options. I think the kind of the kind of grit that Hoppy brought in the gold cup would have been useful. Obviously he's getting used to a new club, bring him in now. Um, so I think those are, those are kind of the, the small changes that uh, we make. Uh, but I think you drop guys that kind of were playing in the middle. I agree. Having the legit, having Acosta, having Roldan were important. Um, obviously Roldan comes on for Pulisic slots in the middle. Does a nice job. We score three goals. I thought when Pulisic came off, we were going to sit and play for 1-1. Obviously, I'm happy to be wrong there, but I think that we need to have more like-for-like replacements and that depth moving forward. Red button watch, five points, three matches. Where do we stand? Scale of one to 10, Joe. I'm at a two. I'm at a two. I peaked at a three, maybe four. I think I put down four at one point, maybe. It was a low four, high three. I'm at two right now. You, you were up at seven, so you tell me where you're at right now. You were as high as seven. That's... Out of 10, that's... I was at 7 after Canada. I was ready to castrate the guy after halftime if he didn't make some changes in Honduras. Just leave him down there. Uh, but I think I come down to a 5. The button is still there. A half doesn't prove that you're up for the moment. And yeah, he, he may have made some tweaks in the Gold Cup that got them, you know, that got them there. But you had to know that this was not the Gold Cup. You had to know that this was going to be more competitive and you weren't up for it. And you got outcoached by El Salvador and Canada in your first two matches. 
And then you were woefully unready with a plan for Honduras, knowing that you really needed to have a win, especially when you saw what was happening. I mean, the, the fact that the U.S. had the last game, they would have gone out on the field knowing Panama was beating Mexico, potentially, that, you know, Costa Rica was at the time down Jamaica or they were beating Jamaica. The Costa Rica was beating Jamaica at the time, you know, so they would have known that they were in a lot of trouble if they didn't get a result in Honduras and to put that lineup out. I no, we're, we're still at a five, a strong five in terms of red button watch. He needs to relax and trust his instincts. We'll be fine. I'll be the steady ship back here. You can be the uh, crazy rowboat. I'll be the one screaming at the TV. Yeah, I'll be the one screaming at the TV like I always do. I'm the I'm the cruise liner, just just cruising down the path here, and you know, just making big waves. And you're the little rowboat on the side trying to survive. So that brings us to the end of episode two of American Pavigans. So we're gonna do this whole shebang again coming up next month. So we'll have a preview episode. Uh, before the next round of three matches in the hex. So you can look for us uh, coming up as soon as the roster drops. We'll get you an episode, get our take on what's going to happen in the next three matches. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at American Pobligans. That's the handle American, P-O-D-L-I-G-N. Please help us get the word out. If you like us, give us a like on Twitter, give us a follow, uh, and help us build our listenership. We are happy to have the sponsorship for this second episode of Pot on You Loons and The People's Pitch. So if you have not listened to those two podcasts, go give them a shout out. They support us. We support them. That's how this works. So again, he's Joe. I'm Nate. Until the next time, we are the American Pobigans.